Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 229. We are now living in the streaming era of entertainment, and there is no bigger streaming giant than Netflix, the California-based company that since moving away from its DVD hire model to streaming in 2007, has amassed over 148 million subscribers around the world. Yet as Netflix Netflix expands and continues to produce its own content, there are many who are questioning the motivations behind perceived agenda-driven programming that supports one side of an increasingly divisive political landscape. Joining me now to talk about Netflix is film critic and entertainment commentator Jacob Smith of Society Reviews. Jacob, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. The highly anticipated return of Society Views is finally here. It is finally here. Last time you were on the podcast, we talked about uh, Captain Marvel and a lot of the brouhaha that was happening over there. And I got really good uh, response to that. So as soon as I saw your article uh, that you posted, I think it was early June, um, titled Netflix has become the breeding ground of political hatred and it's only getting worse. I knew I had to have you back on because that article, we are just talking off air, is like one of the biggest things that you've had traction-wise on your website. And um, I'm just curious what prompted you to want to write about Netflix, um, especially in regards to the uh, ideologies behind the inspirations of its content that's becoming much more clearer as we get closer to a new election next year. Well, it was actually a story that I just kind of stumbled into because, you know, um, for my site, you know, I do uh, movie reviews, you know, a lot of, like, in-theater movies. I'll do, like, you know, a lot of Asian cinema as well. So I was looking into finding more content with uh, Netflix films. You know, I rarely do Netflix movies for reviews. But uh, I went to, you know, Netflix, tried to look for, you know, some things I could do some reviews about. And I probably sat through maybe about like three or four movies, and you know they weren't particularly strong, but I started to notice like a similar narrative with a lot of the movies too. But then I think it was the last two movies that I watched on that streaming platform where I was like, okay, this is definitely going one way. And if you look at all the you know the the news and the the, the decisions you know creatively around Netflix over the last couple of years, you started to see that not only is it going one way politically, but it's probably going to get a lot worse in the next. No year or so when uh, certain you know content starts coming out as being produced. The first one of the first paragraphs that you had in the article talked about the political connections that Netflix had, certainly with the Democratic Party. Um, so you have a former official for uh, Barack Obama. Her name is Susan Rice. She's now on the board of directors on Netflix, and in two months after that, um, uh, Barack Obama receives a multi-project deal. To, to create documentaries specifically for Netflix. And he said um, in a quote that his films are going to deal with race, class, democracy, and human rights. Um, to me, I find the timing very curious um, that the last sitting president of the United States is going to create content on a global uh, a global brand um, mere year out of a new election coming up um, did you find that very curious as well? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you look back to like you know the timeline of like when this first started, like a year ago, it was very suspicious that you know, first of all, you had Susan Rice, you know, who was uh, Barack Obama's former um, ambassador at the time, who uh, just randomly became you know a member of the board of directors on Netflix, and that had a lot of people scratching their head just off of that alone. 
And then, like you said, two months later, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama uh, create a production company, and they receive a multi-deal project to produce, you know, movies and documentaries for the streaming service. Now, of course, when this happened at the time, I think Netflix knew that, you know, this looked very partisan to, to, to basically to anyone with two functioning pair of eyes. So they tried to calm people down by saying that, you know, well, they're not going to be doing like, you know, political content. We're not going to it's not going to have like, you know, it's not going to be about, you know, Democrat politics or whatnot. But apparently the very first um, piece that they're working working on is going to be a piece that talks more about, you know, the federal government and essentially attacks, you know, how Trump is running the federal government. So you're having the former uh, president uh, writing or doing a documentary or producing a documentary, essentially trashing the current president and his administration. And that's only the first documentary. Like, we don't even know, like, the, the full the slate of project that, you know, is going to be coming out in the next couple of years. So that's why, you know, that's when the red flags start coming in. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe there is something uh, going on here that needs to be paid attention to. I always, uh, I always found it very interesting how during Obama's years as president, during both his election cycles, how one of his biggest donors um, was Hollywood. I mean, he was known as sort of the Hollywood president. You had a lot of big um, uh, Hollywood producers, actors, etc., who were very liberal, and I, and I, I guess you know. Into a certain extent, content uh, to a certain extent, excuse me, a lot of the entertainment industry, especially the film industry, is very left-leaning and liberal in that way. They gave millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars to him. It almost seems like he was laying the foundations for a future career during those uh, campaign cycles. Don't you think? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look back, you know, his administration. I think his administration probably utilized Hollywood better than any other, you know, president that, you know, in the modern era. I mean, you can probably go back to, like, Bill Clinton, you know, think about the days where he was on, like, late-night shows playing the saxophone and how well that got him over at the time. But, I mean, Barack Obama was a lot of, was pretty directly involved with a lot of, you know, Hollywood productions and, like, entertainment and such that, you know, he was on late-night shows. He would do, you know, shows with, like, Ellen DeGeneres and whatnot. He was even on uh, ESPN at one point, you know, doing um, fantasy brackets for the network. So when it came to, like, you know, film and television and late night and all that stuff, he was pretty much all over the place. And, you know, he got a lot of money from, you know, the the people in Hollywood. You really used Hollywood as a political tool, as a funding tool for them to, you know, to to fundraise his campaign and uh, really move, you know, his, I guess, overall campaign image forward over the last eight years. There was an article that you um, referenced in regards to a Netflix show, a rather popular one at the moment. Um, it's uh, directed by Ava DuVernay, and it's called Where They See Us. And, and the article is from, uh, written by John Perazzo of the Front Page Mag. And pretty much essentially what he wrote in his piece is that Ava DuVernay and Netflix have essentially rewrote history. Um, and, and can you talk a little bit more? I haven't seen the show yet. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I find that I'm watching so many movies that sometimes watching stuff like TV shows and such, I just can't get to it. But I've heard a lot about it. So I know about the Central Park case. It was a case from, I think it was 1989. And pretty much what the show um, states is that um, uh, evidence has shown that uh, five black men who were um, um, tried and placed in prison for the attack on, I think it was a, um, a jogger uh, at that time. Um, it was rather a brutal case that really engulfed a lot of America at that time. They were 
um, actually innocent all this time. So that's what the um, TV series says. What does um, John's um, uh, Perazzo's um, article in front page mag says that just says that what Netflix has done is rewrote history. Yeah, so essentially with this documentary that was, uh, I believe it was directed and um, written by uh, Aina Duvernay, I can't really pronounce her name right, but she's uh, the one that uh, directed uh, the film, uh, Wrinkle in Time, so you guys might know her, but essentially what happened with this uh, project that she was working on is that she really used the project to kind of recreate this narrative that has been around for a number of years that what happened with the central part five was that the it was racial resentment from the police officers from the victim herself and from you know people including you know donald trump and the movie sets this uh tone and sets this narrative that essentially these four or five uh uh, black teens were completely innocent that they were essentially you know tried and um and, and forced into confessing to a crime that they didn't commit uh, so, uh based on you know race and you know racial resentment but if you really get down into the details of the case there was a lot more that went on than that now the primary issue is is that when it comes to what happened with the the jogger the 28 year old woman at the time she was brutally attacked and uh, brutally raped at the the night that this all went down. Now, as far as the actual rape goes, which is what the boys were convicted for, for being involved in the rape, now, they didn't actually commit the, the, the rape itself. So when you look at, you know, that portion of the story, which is the biggest part of, the, of what happened with these boys, like, they went, they were convicted on the rape, which they didn't commit. Now, I believe it was other people that were involved because there was uh, more than 30 um, teenagers that were involved into this crime spree that happened that night. And it was uh, other people within the 30, pe- within the 30 um, people who ended up doing the crime that these were, took the fall for, essentially, right? But if you look back on actually what happened that night and what led up to that night, they were involved in many other crimes and many other attacks um, that went on during the night. But obviously the most politicized one was the one that happened with uh, this jogger. And uh, the, basically he's saying that the, the film itself kind of leaves out, you know, the, the boys' uh, direct roles in the case. Even though they weren't uh, related to the, the actual rape itself, they were uh, involved with uh, individuals who did commit, the, the, did commit the crime and did commit, you know, ultimate multiple assaults and things like that. So when watching the video, I mean, when you're watching the, the uh, movie, you're getting this um, this retold story that, you know, these kids essentially were just, you know, out uh, one night or they were having to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not really what happened. But that's essentially the, the, the narrative that it creates. And now you're going to be telling the story 30 years later to a generation who's not really familiar with the direct details of the case. This happened in uh, 89. So for the people who've never really heard of it or didn't really follow all the details, now they're being told a version of the story that it doesn't quite line up with the facts. I think that's what uh, Perrazzo was um, pointing out in his uh, um, piece that he wrote. And I think the really frustrating thing for a lot of people, um, such as what uh, Perrazzo wrote in his article, was indicating was that if you dare challenge the, um, the, the narrative that Netflix and Ava DuVernay puts forth in her series, um, then automatically you are tagged a racist. And that's a very much a very <coughs> vicious but very effective tool 
that some people, activists, do use to uh, silence debate. And it's something that happens here in Australia as well. I think it's just a part of the playbook. Um, the Donald Trump connection is very interesting. At that time, he was very much on the forefront of um, going on news, on press. He's always been a, a, a media uh, media whore to an extent. He's always been out there talking to the press, etc. Uh, in this case, it was in regards to um, uh, finding who did this crime, um, etc. At the time as well, he was very much uh, he was very much a staunch Democrat, and he knew within, he was known within New York City of being that. Now the indication is that because he came forth in the media and he was very supportive of the victim and very um, uh, he's very condemning of the the people who perpetrated a crime or alleged to perpetrated a crime or, or what have you, that now he is a racist and uh, you can't help but see the links within all this kind of thing. You have uh, a show. Um, that a lot of people were saying is rip, uh, is um, rewriting history, um, and but it's also very much agenda driven in a lot of facets, especially in damning Donald Trump, who I have to remind everyone again is facing re-election in a year, so you can't help but see connections here. Yeah, definitely, and you know, this is the thing when you're like you have to put yourself, you know, in you know the moment that this thing happened in 19, you know, 89, and not you know the retold story because what the film does is that it uses uh, Trump's uh, condemnation of the Central Park Five at the time as a sort of a uh, conviction to say, well, this proves that he was even a racist back then, right? But you have to understand that when this story first broke, for what most people understood of the story and what most people heard, you had a woman who was in jogging in North in uh, Central Park, New York. She was brutally attacked. I mean, the, the attack is, is pretty intense if you look at the details of the story. I mean, these were guys that, you know, took a brick and then uh, lead pipes and literally smashed her, her face in. And then as she lost, you know, almost uh, enough blood that she nearly died and her brain activity was completely you know, messed up, they proceeded to then brutally rape her at the same time. So a lot of people heard the details of the story and they're thinking to themselves well you know look at the horrible things that you know they did to this woman and it's like yeah the, what they're saying is true and they're guilty of it they absolutely deserve to be you know sent in jail and you know whatever you know comes with that and donald trump at the time was one of the leading voices you know pushing that narrative it's like yeah you know they devastated this woman and if they're guilty of then they need to pay but now that you know the things have come out you know 30 years later now they're trying to take you know his testimony at the time which was you know felt by and shared with a lot of other people who heard the case at the time to kind of re, um to rewrite history by saying that oh see this proves that donald trump hated black people even back in 1989 and and the movie really tries to narrow that that you know that um that point home by by putting the blame on Donald Trump, even though for being you no know, realistic. In 1989, Donald Trump was just a private citizen giving his opinion on, you know, a criminal case, you know what I mean? It wasn't like he was in the government at the time. It wasn't like he was like a senator or a congressman who was asking for, you know, um, for, you know, condemnation of the case. He was basically giving his opinion, you know, as any other private citizen would when you heard of the, the brutal details of the case. And yeah, there were a lot of people that were, you know, were upset and angry angry, you know, at the time, because they all thought that, you know, that, yeah, if these guys did it, then they need to be severely punished for what they did. Jacob, not having watched the show, do they portray the crime, uh, the, the attack and the rape in the TV series? Uh, from what I understand, uh, um, they, they portray the, 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 the attack, but essentially they 
kind of um, they, they they reposition the attack to where you know the boys aren't really directly involved into you know like what like the, the really like gruesome details of the story because I think what happens is in this situation is that if they go all in with you know what actually happened to this woman all night because what they're trying to present in the series is that you know well she wasn't a very reliable witness and that maybe she had no um i guess what's the right word for some some slanted views or whatever the case may be so they were trying to portray to her like she was just as big as a problem as you know the the cops were due to her testimony and i this is the thing that really caught me when i thought about writing the story is that you know i go and i look at you know the 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 reviews of the story what people are saying about it and there are a lot of people especially like if you go to like the the official youtube page online there was a lot of people that were like you said directing the blame at her saying that oh she lied she wasn't a reliable witness you know she was just as racist as you know the cops were that they were just trying to you know throw these innocent you know black kids in jail and it, it really you know made me think it was like you know this is a woman who you know whether you Oh, who went through probably one of the most brutal heinous attacks you could possibly think of and that actually did happen like it's not like she completely made up like the, the attack herself like there's plenty of like you know police documents and evidence and whatever the case may be to prove that you know she was the true victim of the story but in order to portray the narrative that they want in the film they kind of have to take you know the sympathy figure the sympathy factor away from her and focus it more on you know the boys who ended up going to jail for the story rather than you know the victim herself. So if I can just confirm, and this is uh, kind of news to me because uh, it, and it's very frustrating for me to hear it as well. The woman who was attacked, beaten by a brick, a pipe, and gang raped multiple times was uh, the problem here. And a lot of people essentially is not believing the victim. Don't you think it's a little hypocritical, especially in these times of Me Too and Believe All Women, that this is a narrative that people from that particular side of politics is presenting? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, what Me Too has become over the couple of years, especially a lot of the narrative that you heard during, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh case was essentially that, you know, women need to be believed whenever they're attacked, wherever they're alleged that they're attacked, no matter what the circumstance are. And you've had plenty of people who will outright blame, you know, people who will say, well, let's see what the evidence is first, or, you know, let's, let's hear, you know, both sides of the story before we just condemn people based on the allegation now of course this is a little bit different because you know this was an, an actual assault this wasn't like someone saying that you know well he touched me inappropriately you know 30 years ago so it can't be directly compared on on that level but it is sort of the similar sentiment that you know you had you know a lot of people you know on the left that are going around saying that you know women need to be believed um no matter you know what the, the circumstances are, then here you have this woman who was proven to be a victim of a brutal attack. And it, the central of the problem was that they simply convicted the wrong people of the attack. They um, sent five people to jail when it was, you know, others involved in the, the 30 people who, you know, who did these random beatings and attacks that were the true culprits behind, you know, her specific situation. But, you know, they try to spin that as a, you know, as as, as uh, fuel to say that you know to push the narrative that they want is pretty hypocritical, especially in this day and age that you're trying to have push you know two different narratives at the same time, especially coming from the director who was very vocal during you know the Brett Kavanaugh situation as well. 
Yes, and, and, and I, that's something I, I've made note of as well. Like Ava DuVernay is very much on Twitter, very uh, politically active. Um, she she um, jumped on a lot of things, especially when it came to Brett Kavanaugh, um, Norviton Catholic boys. A lot of people uh, were eating crow after that one as well. Um, and so I, I find it very incredible, um, frustrating, very distressing to hear that the, the victim of this crime um, who, uh, to remind everyone again, was brutally attacked and gang raped, and, and was made out to be some type of uh, <clears throat> uh, be the problem because her testimony, um, they say, was marred by racist intent and not and not from being you know bludgeoned and raped by multiple people. I think that's very uh, kind of frustrating to hear, and, and it's not something that a lot of people were bringing up in their reviews either. And I think that's very, um, uh, f- f- really interesting as well to see how the narrative is being framed around this. Um, okay, so we talked about stuff, content on the air. I want to just touch on things that are happening off the air in regards to the political uh, activism of Netflix, especially in regards to the uh, Georgia boycott law. I just want to check with you, Jacob. Are you comfortable talking about the Georgia law? Uh, yeah, because I've um, talked a lot about, you know, the Georgia law, and I think, you know, honestly, it would probably be best for the state of Georgia to just kind of let Hollywood go, but we can dig a little deeper into this one. Like, Excellent, because I've, I've, I've tried to approach it with some other people, and they have kind of like trepidations and, and might get it into it, but you and I, we're going to go into it right now. So essentially what this was, earlier this year, uh, Georgia... The state of Georgia passed a bill. It's called the Heartbeat Bill. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob. Essentially, the Heartbeat Bill says that if a heartbeat is detected, um, and I'm going to use the word fetus here as kind of like more um, medical jargon and not as some type of activist speak. Uh, if a heartbeat, heartbeat is detected um, in the fetus within, within the uh, within the, the woman, um, that um, life is, is determined to be human life and cannot be terminated. Is that pretty much the, 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 the crux of the uh, bill? Uh, there, Jacob. Yeah. So basically, uh, Georgia and a few other states over the last few months have uh, passed what they call heartbeat bills. And it's essentially what you said that you know, if a heartbeat is detected within the fetus of a child, then uh, abortion is pretty much uh, banned in those cases. Now, Georgia is a little different than some other states because they do have. Um, exceptions for uh, rape and incest. And there's been states like Alabama who don't have those exceptions. So if you look at the Georgia bill, you know, overall, it's actually more more lenient than what a lot of other states are passing. I think even the one in Ohio is a lot uh, stricter than the Georgia one. But the reason why the Georgia one has been politicized so much over the last few months is because over the last decade, Hollywood's kind of taken over the state of Georgia. Um due to, you know, taking advantage of their tax breaks and, you know, the, the, the cheaper cost of production to do a film project in the state of Georgia rather than, you know, the state of, like, California or New York where, you know, obviously more um, pro-choice uh, legislation and more pro-choice support would be in those states. But the problem is that it's super expensive to run uh, productions in those states because they're very, very expensive in deep blue states. So they go to to, you know, red states like Georgia where the taxes are, are much more lenient, but now they're kind of upset that, you know, the residents of these states are passing laws that, you know, the Hollywood brass don't agree with. Okay, so we've determined what the law is, and now we're going to talk about the reaction. So as you said, it is a hub for Hollywood uh, to go there, shoot their um, stuff on the, on the cheap, um, and one of those um, studios that does that is Netflix. So after this law passed, the Netflix chief content officer, Ted Sarandis, um, said in a statement to Variety on May 28, 
um, that they'd rethink their entire investment in Georgia and that the company would work with the ACLU and others to fight it in court. Now, that is kind of uh, incredible to me that a media company, uh, a, a play, pretty much some, a, a, a place that creates content for people to entertain people, is now delving into the murky waters of politics. Um, so I can kind of understand activism through art. I mean, activism through art is ha happening everywhere. It has happened for a long time. Um, that's fine. But once you start using your clout as an entertainment uh, body to try to um, meddle with, and let's face it, it's state politics here. Um, every state has the right to do what they wish in their, I mean, for example, I'm sure even though after the infanticide uh, rulings in New York City, I'm not sure what the reaction was from, say, uh, conservative uh, um, uh, entertainment in, uh, bodies. If Number one, um, if there are many of them. Number two, if they could afford working in New York in the first place. Um, I'm not sure if any of them were talking for a boycott there. I, I, I might be wrong. Um, but, it, Jacob, I think it's really kind of uh, says something about where Netflix is going. Um, if they're really going to try to muscle their way into having the Georgia uh, go um, government uh, change the legislation because because it doesn't suit the uh, politics of Netflix as a whole. Yeah, you know, it's a very interesting situation because, you know, you look at, you know, just the, the angle of, you know, Netflix being like this massive, you know, media company. I mean, it is the largest streaming, you know, um, uh, site in the world at the moment. They have over like 130 something uh, subscribers worldwide. And they're kind of, you know, using their power right now to, to bully the state of Georgia, essentially, to, you know, to going against the law that the people of Georgia voted on. And there's this weird dynamic that you have these people from, you know, from the Hollywood world. A lot of, I mean, let's be real here. We're talking about a lot of people from California that are going to Georgia to take advantage of Georgia's tax laws while at the same time trying to dictate to the state of Georgia, you know, what they should be voting for, what they should be supporting. But if you really think about it from that level, it's like, well, you know, you guys left California, a state that would have had no problem whatsoever with, you know, going to you know, the party lines and going to support, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, policies that, you know, you guys agree with. But, you know, you essentially got ran out of your own state because you made it so incredibly expensive there that you can't even afford to run productions there. So now you're going to a more, you know, conservative uh, red state like Georgia and, you know, take advantage of the tax laws. But when the people of Georgia vote a certain way that you don't like, then you try to use, you know, the, your media power to strong arm them into a position that they don't agree with, even though you're taking advantage of, you know, their laws. We saw this a couple of years ago with uh, Disney. Uh, Disney essentially threatened a similar boycott in Georgia maybe about two or three years ago when Georgia was uh, in the process of uh, passing their uh, transgender bathroom bill. And um, essentially, at the time, uh, Nathan Deal, who was the governor, uh, backed off of it because, you know, he was getting pressure from the NFL and from Disney and didn't want to, you know, fight and risk losing money for the, the state. But now we have the governor in Georgia, um, Brian... Um, um, Brian Kemp, excuse me, I almost forgot his name. Uh, Brian Kemp, who seems, you know, to be a person who's definitely willing to put his foot down and take a stand against Hollywood. So it's very interesting over the next, you know, couple of years where this fight's going to go because the bill hasn't officially taken hold yet. I believe it doesn't officially go into law until January, but they're 
will be, my guess is there will be lawsuits and possibly trying to delay the bill as long as possible. So this is going to be a pretty interesting situation to pay attention to over the next couple of months. Don't forget as well, uh, Jacob, I don't know if you followed the NBA. I'm a big fan of the NBA. Um, a couple of years ago, Charlotte were set to host the NBA All-Star Game. And just before um, that was about to happen, they passed their own bathroom law. Um, and when that did happen, the NBA pulled the All-Star Game. And this is a huge revenue-earning uh, event for any state that it's been in. And Charlotte being one of the smaller market teams um, run by uh, Michael Jordan, of course, um, uh, they pretty much had to i don't remember if something happened in regards to the bill but it's pretty much was a a a, a an example of how a big entertainment conglomerate in this in this regards one of the biggest sporting brands in the world um pulled its muscle um and pretty much punished a state uh for their own uh politics yeah so I, there's there's definitely a, a trend there isn't there yeah, I remember when that happened. Uh, it's quite funny too because now they're going back to Charlotte, despite the fact that I don't be- like. I might be wrong, but I don't believe uh, Charlotte made much, um, really back down off of that bathroom bill. But they are. Yeah, I, I don't think they did either. I don't remember ever seeing any press release from the governor or anyone saying, "No, please, please, NBA, don't leave. We're going to change our ways." I, I, I'm pretty sure that bill is still in effect. So it's it's essentially uh, grandstanding on the NBA's part. Yeah, because like I said, they, they moved it. I think they moved it to uh, New Orleans that year. But then here we are a few years later, and they're going right back despite the fact that nothing changed. It was sort of the same thing that happened because uh, the NFL did the same thing with Georgia because the Atlanta had just built a new stadium. But uh, Atlanta, uh, Georgia was also passing the same um, bathroom bill as well. But the uh, NFL stepped in and said that, you know, hey, if you pass this bill, then we're not going to have a Super Bowl in your city. And the, the governor essentially, you know, backed down. So they can hold the Super Bowl, which happened earlier this year. But I guess you know now, like I said, with a new governor in charge, that uh, he's more willing to you know take a stand against you know the bully of the you know, these big, massive you know uh, media corporations that are trying to you know instill left wing politics in, in states that obviously don't agree with you know left wing politics. So it's very interesting dynamic that you're seeing here with a lot of these companies that seem to be fighting you know the left battle for them. So I guess I've got to play the part of devil's advocate now and just bring up something we've touched on already when we talked about uh, Obama and his influence on the Hollywood community, vice versa, um, sporting teams um, and their influence through their progressive politics on states. I can also cite examples about late night TV now, how, how left wing that has become. What I'm trying to get to is that this position that Netflix has taken, shouldn't we expect this? I mean, Hollywood in the entertainment industry is very much a left-leaning thing. Um, shouldn't we not be alarmed and just take in stride that this is what's going to happen with any type of media conglomerate, especially when it, when it, business dealings are with Hollywood or with or, or any other association that way? Um, are we making too much of this? Or do you think now is the time to really kind of stand up against this kind of stuff because I think <clears throat> Michael Jordan, to cite him again, said it himself back in the, in the early 90s when people asked him why it was, wasn't he more politically active, he made a very astute uh, comment and observation that Republicans buy sneakers too, um, meaning that if you have a market base, you're going to cater to all different types of people. If you just cater to one brand of people and you make an ideology on that, you're pretty much uh, 
you know, crippling your, not only your business, but also making uh, an, a name for yourself as a very narrow-minded organization. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I think what you're seeing here is that you're seeing kind of a changing of the guard in Hollywood as well. Because if you really look back on the history of it, you know, Hollywood has always been, you know, a, a sort of like a left-leaning, you know, uh, platform when it comes to like actors and directors and stuff like that. But when you go back to like years ago, like like even like in the '90s and like early 2000s, people say like the '80s for um, in some cases that you know there was an understanding that, you know, even though you personally like lean to the left, you support left-wing politics, you have to understand that, you know, that, hey, you know, I need to cater to, you know, both audiences. I can't just be politically one way, because if I'm too politically to the left, then, you know, the other side of the country is going to reject you know, my projects, and I'm essentially not going to be any money, and make any money. And, you know, year for years, it wasn't financially uh, smart for Hollywood to go against you know, that uh, uh, half of the country that disagrees with them politically if they want to like, actually, like, make money. But what you've seen, especially in Hollywood over the last, like, 10 years, is that you have people who have kind of come into the business and they've taken, you know, a more harder, you know, political stance, unlike people you, you would have seen, you know, 20 years ago. And I think another, another thing that has to do with it is that kind of the globalization of the Hollywood industry as a whole as well. Because it used to be not too long ago that... The American box office was king, so all the Hollywood studios used to um, cater themselves to, you know, the American audience. It wasn't you no know, that long ago it was considered well. If you made a hundred million dollars in the United States, you know, in America, then your project was considered an excess. Well, now with you know the the the, the rise of you know the global markets, markets like you know China and and South Korea and the UK and all these other big markets, you really that Hollywood really isn't getting the majority of their money from the United States anymore. Like two thirds of their overall, you know, box office or overall audience is coming from overseas now. So because they don't have to worry about, you know, catering to, you know, the American audience anymore, they can afford to take a more, you know, left wing stance in their politics. Because in this case, it's like, well, even if they do piss off, you know, half the country here in the United States, they can make up that difference in other countries now so they can afford to be you no know, more you know vocally politically to the left than they could be you know 20 years ago because that's just the way that hollywood's kind of set up now so i do think though it's a very much flawed thinking on their part i mean if if politics and elections says anything lately um there is definitely a, a quiet uh but a quiet but really mass um, proportion of people out there that don't have share the same uh, philosophies and ideologies that a Netflix would have. I mean, looking in your country in the US only a few years ago, you had Donald Trump going against all expectation and winning there. Here in Australia, we had a federal election and uh, Scott Morrison, who is the conservative leader here, a lot of people, including polls, which is very much uh, what happened over in the States, polls and, and, and analysts and, and a lot of TV figureheads, etc., uh, said that he wasn't going to win and he came up triumphant big time. Uh, the UK, you can look at uh, over there as well with Brexit. I think it's very flawed thinking on anyone's part that just because a one political ideology is much more vocal out in the marketplace, it doesn't necessarily mean it represents everyone. And you're seeing that in the numbers right now. So there is another article I just want to cite here, and it's by Christian Toto from Hollywood and Toto, who's a good friend of the podcast. Um, so he had yeah. an article called Why Liber Liberal Netflix May Have Dug Its Own Streaming Grave. And he cited... Um, uh, statistics here 
Um, so shares of Netflix were down 11% um, uh, in the last quarter. Um, so that pretty much showing that a lot of people have actually unsubscribed from Netflix after, and, and I think that is very much cause and effect of all the things that have been going on over there in regards to the political stance and such. Uh, but he also brings up another very interesting point, and that is that very soon um, the streaming uh, market is going to get very, very packed and very competitive. So on top of what you have right now, you have Amazon Prime, you have Hulu, you have um, uh, uh, Netflix, of course. You're going to have all these other streaming uh, services as well, one of them being Disney+. Plus. Um, Warner have announced they're going to do their own streaming stuff as well. There's going to be so many diversified streaming options now, and not everyone, not everyone can afford this. Um, so if you're looking at around a dozen different options of di all different types of content, and just say you are a conservative um, uh, viewer and you're looking at Netflix and you're, and you're reading reports about where they're coming from in regards to activism and political ideology and the content that they're putting out there, I'm going to give my money to someone else and that's pretty much what could happen, right? Yeah, you know, Netflix is in a very interesting situation with that too because <coughs> essentially what's happening right now is that, you know, uh, the the content that Netflix has made money off of over the last 10 years, well, all of these companies are now looking at, you know, the streaming game, and they're like, hey, you know what, we want to start our own streaming service. It's like, hey, but you guys over there at Netflix have, you know, a lot of our content, so we're going to pull our content from your streaming service so we can put it on our own. So what's happening is that you have companies like, you know, Disney, NBC, Universal, Warner Media that are all kind of sitting here like, hey, you know, we want our own streaming service, which means that you have to give us, you know, our content back so we can start our own uh, service to kind of compete against you. So now Netflix is losing a lot of the content that a lot of people, you know, love to watch on there. That's why you hear so many people complaining about, you know, the office being pulled and friends possibly being pulled and stuff like that because they're they're essentially having to give it back to the people who's going to compete against them in the next couple of months. Now you add that along with the fact that, you know, politically they've um, they become, you know, more, you know, partisan in, in their politics, both in their content and, you know, and as a as a media giant. Now now people are kind of looking at them now. It's like, you know, okay, before you only really had, you know, uh, Netflix and Hulu, I mean, Amazon Prime isn't really that big of a thing yet, but you know, you only really had two dogs in the yard now. But now you have everyone's coming out with their own, you know, streaming service. You have things like, you know, uh, the WWE Network, Hulu, Disney Plus, all of these the other options. And now people are looking at Netflix. It's like, well, unless you're that big of a fan of Stranger Things, you know, you kind of have to look at what you're spending now and think to yourself, you know, is it really worth it to keep, you know, this? Uh, this this platform that I'm giving you know fifteen dollars a month to so I can watch without commercials or whatnot. So they're they're in a really tight spot where you know their their content is leaving the platform. They're moving um, more to the left with the stuff that they're producing now. And you know, if you if you look at you know the the overall, I mean you know the the streaming uh, game is starting to get a little crowded now. So now it's like people are actually starting to make that long hard decision. It's like you know hey do I really want to you know stay with this company with everything that's going on, this might be a time for me to get out. And you know, as you saw, uh, it's a combination of things that led to them losing, you know, seventeen billion dollars of value, you know, um, in the last uh, couple of weeks because you know their subscriber count is not going up the way that they thought it was. I think mean, they only got like half of their expectation. And you know, the fact that you know they're they're 
spending so much money. It's like billions and billions of dollars to create this content. Yeah. And really not all of it is not all of it is hitting. You know, it's just like, you know, you're putting a whole bunch of these comedy specials that nobody likes and all of these like films that people will watch once and then they'll stop watching for thirty minutes and won't go back to it again and you're not really seeing, you know, a, a return on your product right now. So their only world saving grace is that they have you know, 140 million subscribers all over the world, but, you know, how long is that going to last if they keep going the route that they're going right now, especially with competition around the corner? Exactly right, exactly right. I mean, the amount of money that they've accumulated in debt, I think, is especially uh, an interesting story there that a lot of people aren't really touching on. I think they're up to, like, $600, $700 million in debt, maybe more, maybe they may be getting close to a billion now, um, because... Yeah, I heard... A billion. So, look, because what are they doing? They have to create original content to make up uh, for the fact that Disney especially pulled all their stuff out of their platform. So now they're like, okay, we're going to make our own stuff. But even the stuff that they're making is becoming very expensive. The Irishman, which is a new Martin Scorsese film, this is due for release at the end of the year. It's a film that I'm very much anticipating. But that the budget on that thing is a balloon. I think when they bought the property of Paramount, it was a $70 million budget, and now it's gone up to $200 million, um, specifically because of the post-production special effects work and de-aging uh, the actors. And this is a cast that stars... Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. There's a lot of wrinkles to phase out there in post-production. That guy costs millions of dollars to do. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how they kind of tackle this issue. Because like you said, and like we touched on, figures are showing this, um, the shares are going down. Figures are showing that people are leaving uh, the, con- uh, the content provider because number one, their ideology, and number two, um, people can't afford it anymore because there's so much co- competition out there. So then let's play the part of make-believe. Let's play the part of we are the CEOs of Netflix. We've got this situation in front of us. We've got a a fractured marketplace. We have uh, money to spend. Um, What do we do? Do we go down the road of making um, material now, making content now that can appeal to more conservative voters and try to get that marketplace back into our side? Uh, You mean as far as like Netflix goes? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, a problem that they have right now because, you know, they, they clearly need to maintain the subscribers or bring in new subscribers, but they don't have a lot of angles to bring them in at the moment. So it's like, you know, you can create, you know, new content like they're doing now and hope something sticks, like, in the long term. But if, you, if you're trying to, like, I guess, you know, cater to, like, a more conservative and libertarian audience, well, I guess you kind of, what you have to do, uh, you kind of have to go back and, you know, let the people know that you can be trusted. Because over the last, like, year or so, you've kind of, you know, spit on the face on anyone who may be, you know, let's say, you know, right to the ideology of Bernie Sanders over the last few years. So if you're if you're a jaded, you know, uh, conservative or libertarian, and you know, um, you know, uh, of a customer essentially saying you're looking at Netflix and you're seeing stuff that they're currently being produced right now. You're not you know, looking at them as a viable, you know, alternative anytime soon. So they would have to make a real concerted effort to kind of bring in, you know, new customers in that vein. But then you also have the question of timing, like how long is that going to take? For them to kind of like regain the trust of the people who they've lost over the last few years, that could take a lot of time, and this may not have a whole lot of time coming out because I believe the Disney Plus platform is coming out either later this year or next year, whatever the case may be. So they're already going to have serious competition breathing over their neck at the moment, 
and with the, all the money that they're kind of spending on the, you know the productions of these these television shows uh, and movies, a lot of them really aren't quality to begin with. It's like you know how do you go about essentially you know pressing you know the pause button and kind of rebooting your direction, which is really what they need to do at the moment because you know. They're, they're just in a, in a tough spot in more ways than one. It's like not only has their ideology kind of bit them in the butt recently over the last couple of months, but now their competition is coming back to bite them as well. So they, they need to get into a room and kind of figure out, you know, what direction they need to go to and what's the best one that's not going to you know, cost them money because if they start losing subscribers and they're already spending more money that they're bringing in, then, you know, it's only going to be a matter of while before that, you know, bubble burst. And, you know, if Hopefully, you know, they figure it out before they ended up becoming like the new movie pass or blockbuster, even though if we're talking about, you know, former media giants that kind of, you know, fell under his own weight. But yeah, they need to figure out something soon. I don't know what it is, but you know, they only got a, a matter of time to figure it out because, you know, the wall's kind of closing in slowly but surely. And it's going to be very fascinating to watch over the next couple of years. This is a great article that you wrote. Um, once again, just a reminder, Netflix has become the breeding ground of political hatred and it's only going to get worse. Uh, written by Jacob Smith, 985 retweets so far. Um, and it's interesting to read the comments uh, uh, when you tweeted out your article. A lot of people underneath that were saying, read your article, we're going to unsubscribe from Netflix there. So it's definitely having an impact on the bottom line. Um, and, and that's and it's really, uh, really fascinating to see, uh, Jacob. Um, Jacob, where can people read your stuff online? Uh, you can read my stuff at uh, society-reviews.com. I'm on um, Twitter at the moment. I'm on Letterboxd if you want to get more of my uh, movie review stuff. I'm currently on Minds as well. So if you go to Minds.com, uh, search Society Reviews, I'm there. And um, that's pretty much it for now. Well, Jacob Smith, I thank you very much for joining us, uh, joining me sorry, on the podcast, and um, hopefully we can do this again in the future. Will do. I'm happy to come back.